everybody. Welcome into a new episode of the Island Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm Ben Fredrickson, joined as always by our colleague Dave Matter from the Columbia Bureau. We're going to kind of do a, uh, a mixed bag this week, Dave. We're just going to jump around a bunch of hot topics, uh, hot seat style. Are you ready for that? I'm ready. Shoot. Let's go. <laughs> you sound so excited. Um, I no, am. Thrilled. I want to, I want to start with, 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 with the NFL draft because yeah. it's, it's, it's this fascinating time for a couple of Mizzou guys. You got a guy Nick, like Nick Bolton, who's ready to start his, his NFL career. You got a guy like Drew Locke who is probably watching the NFL draft wondering, am I going to be moving teams? Um, there's a right. lot of talk in Denver about the quarterback situation. What are, you, what are the Mizzou implications that you're seeing for uh, for this NFL draft? Well, there's about five or six guys from Mizzou that could be drafted, not necessarily all of them. A, a couple for sure. Nick Bolton will get drafted. We know that. It seems like there's a little less first-round buzz on Nick and more like early second, which is, which is fine. You know, he's going to play. He'll have a chance to maybe start as a rookie wherever he goes, depending on where he goes. And I, I had we'll, we'll have this on the site next week, but I talked to Eric Edholm, who's who's really good. He's a, a Yahoo Sports. He's their NFL draft guy. And he, he, get, he gave us a good breakdown of all the Mizzou guys. And he, he said what he's hearing from teams is the knock on Bolton again is he's not very tall. Like, and that was the reason that he kind of slipped to Missouri in the first place. He was committed to go to Washington. The Texas schools were a little cold on him out of high school because he wasn't tall enough. I mean, has his height ever seemed to hold him back against whether he's playing who Alabama, LSU, you know, whoever, South Carolina, Florida. Have you ever thought, gosh, if he was only an inch taller? So, you know, these teams, they have they, they hire so all these scouts and analysts that they're all supposed to, you know, find a purpose and nitpick these guys. But if he ends up slipping to the second round because he's, you know, only – 5'11 or six foot or whatever he is uh, somebody's going to be fortunate to get him in the second round because he is we know he's, he's a he's a really good linebacker and he's gonna he's gonna have a long career in the NFL I think if he stays healthy he's gonna be like that Sean Weatherspoon type where it's like oh right. what's his role and then he ends up like playing in, in the league really well and also playing for like almost 10 years yeah, um, yeah. the guy loves contact he he doesn't get himself into into trouble he's about football um and, yeah. and he's played he's one of the best linebackers in one of the best conferences in the country if, if he's not if he's tall enough to do that <laughs> then why wouldn't he be tall enough to right. to, to be able to stick at the, at the next level you know the pass coverage will be interesting you know they require those guys to do so much more um you know how he adjusts to that part of the game how they use him i think that will be really interesting for him but uh yeah yeah i think some team's going to be really happy with him and i think he's probably going to have a multi-year NFL career. Um, what about some of the other guys? Who are the guys that you kind of look at and go, okay, maybe they end up having a, a longer or more successful NFL career, maybe than even they did uh, than they did a college career, because that happens sometimes. Yeah, look at Tyree Gillespie, who was a good college safety. Um, I don't know if he was ever great. He was not – he didn't intercept any passes. He wasn't really much of a pass coverage guy, but he could tackle. He could hit you in space. And, you know, there's a, there's a place for you in the NFL if you can do that. He ran, you know, at his pro day in Columbia a few weeks back. I mean, I was there, and he ran, a, I think, a reported 4-3-9 um, as a bigger safety. So he was moving. Uh, he'll, he'll go somewhere in the, in the middle rounds, I would think. Josh Bledsoe, Missouri's other safety, a guy that was maybe a little bit more productive in college, um, played all over the place. They used him like a nickelback and uh, 
strong free safety. Uh, he had a wrist injury though. And this is, this was a really bad year to be injured during this process because they didn't have those in-person workouts. There was no combine. It was just your pro day. And he ended up having to have, I think a second pro day. He got hurt in the senior bowl. So that might impact where he lands in the draft, but as long as he's healthy, you know, he'll have a chance to, to make a team. Um, and then the other two guys are both on offense, Larry Borm, offensive lineman who came out a year early, maybe a little bit surprised to just kind of the, the casual fan because he was, he started a couple of years, but um, you know, wasn't a household name at all, but really developed into a really good college right tackle, probably more of a guard in the NFL, um, but somebody who will probably go in the middle rounds too. And then the last one is somebody who is a household name is Larry Roundtree, uh, super productive college running back, more rushing yards than any running back in team history. Uh, is he equipped to be an NFL back? Well, he's not the fastest, but that's okay. He's not the biggest, but that's okay. But he just does a lot of things well. And, uh, you know, Eric and I take his, I, I lean on his expertise in this. He thinks that he can, he can find a role on a team as, you know, as a backup running back. And then, you know, how it is in the NFL. I mean, we've seen undrafted guys make Super Bowl teams and, and, and become starters. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a really unpredictable position, but we've seen Larry do it at the college level. I, I would think he'll be able to, you know, find a place on a college team or an NFL team and make an impact too. James Franklin is retiring from football. He, yeah. he has that and he's the former Mizzou quarterback in, in Canada and, and, and Drew Locke could be potentially losing his starting job sooner than he hoped. What do you make of what's going on in, in Denver? Um, Drew has had good moments with the Broncos that didn't have a very good season last season. And there's talk there that they might try to grab a quarterback or perhaps even trade up for one. If they do, then you got to think that, that Drew Locke will be moving on in, in some capacity. I still think he's got, I think the hit, the thing for him is going to be finding the right coach right. And, and finding the right team. Um, if he could be the guy under Tom Brady and, you know, if he could be in Blaine Gabbert's shoes and, and be the heir to Tom Brady, whenever Tom Brady rides off into the sunset, probably like 10 years from now, <laughs> I think Drew Locke could be in a great spot, but I do think it's going to take the right coach. It's going to take the right offense and the right kind of receivers around him to take advantage of, of his arm. Uh, and I don't know that, I don't know that Denver has that. For him. What do you, what do you make of where this is going to go with Drew? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think they have the eighth pick in the, in the first round. If they take a quarterback there, it's obviously not a good sign for Drew. You know, Justin Fields could be in the mix there, the uh, Ohio State quarterback, uh, Trey Lance, um, the, the FCS quarterback, uh, who is, you know, going to be a, a high first-round pick. Uh, I, I would have thought that if they wanted to bring in one of these veterans that was on the trading block in the offseason, that would have been the plan and then have somebody a little bit older, more established challenge drew for that job. But instead, if they go younger, are they, you know, what, what are they doing then? Are they just making the statement that, Hey, we're just going to start from scratch with a rookie uh, or at least have this rookie, you know, try to challenge drew if they keep drew on the roster. So really up in the air. And, and as we know, Denver has not had a very good quarterback plan here for a while now, since John Elway has been making decisions out there. It seems like um, I don't know how many more of these he can screw up. Um, well, he's, but, he's kind of taking a step back from the yeah, team that's true. role, which I think is yeah. a bad sign for Drew because, yeah. because Locke was, was, was Drew's guy. Locke was Elway's guy. So uh, I wonder if that was kind of the beginning of, uh, of the change. Of I thought I saw Mark, Mark Kisler from the – I think it was Mark from the Denver Post the other day wrote something pretty interesting that the Broncos, they like Drew. They just don't love him, you know. So And you got to love your quarterback if you want to be a, a playoff 
team and a, and a Super Bowl contender. So yeah. we'll see if he can if he can earn that job or not. It's harder to love your quarterback when Patrick Mahomes is in your division too. I think that's probably yeah, that's true. grass is always greener. Maybe um, we'll see. The NFL draft is is next Thursday, so keep an eye out for those Mizzou guys. Um, some other news at Mizzou that's kind of off, not not something we would normally spend a ton of time on, but there's enough of it that we should we should bounce through these things. Mizzou wrestling goes back to the Big Twelve, Dave. Um, how about that? I mean, we are seeing a cold. The, the end of the Cold War, Mizzou basketball and, and football are going to be playing KU, and Mimi Wrestling goes back to the Big 12. Um, the Tigers had been out in the wilderness for, for a long time, kicking tail, I might add, um, and, and there's probably some teams in the Big 12 that are not thrilled to see Mizzou coming back right. um, because of more losses. But how did this happen, and, and what is it? What is it? What do you make of it? I mean, there would have been a time where we would have said any team returning to the Big 12 was was not even going to be in consideration the way that the, right. the teams felt toward the conference and vice versa. Yeah, this is really, really interesting, I thought. And and listening to Brian Smith kind of explain it the other day, and then I checked with some people at the Big 12 also just to see how the process unfolded, because that's not something they really spell out for you. Um, basically, when, when Missouri left the Big 12 for the SEC, Brian Smith wasn't thrilled about that because the SEC, as we know, does not have wrestling. Nobody else wrestles down in the South. It is, it is strictly a Midwestern, Northeast part of the country sport in college. Um, so Missouri was going to be without a home. They were homeless for, I think he said, about six months. They, they just weren't sure what they were going to do. They were very fortunate to join the Mid-American Conference. A, definitely a mid-major when it comes to wrestling. They have some good programs in there, but not you know national championship contenders. And like you said, Missouri, all Missouri did was just dominate in the MAC for uh, nine years, and it didn't hold them back. I don't think as a program they still made the NCAA championships all the time. They still recruited as well as anybody nationally. Um, but you know, I think it it kind of took a little bit of luster off the programs as far as regular season scheduling things like that. So. Brian always wanted to go back to the Big 12. It was possible. I mean, his, his argument was, hey, I'm not the one that was leading us out of the Big 12. We're the one sport that probably wanted to stay. And he has really good connections with the coaching community in the Big 12. Uh, John Smith, legendary coach at Oklahoma State, are very close. And he said the other day that John Smith, as it gets confusing with a couple of Smiths, John Smith told Brian Smith, as soon as Mizzou left the Big 12, he was like, hey, I'm going to do everything I can to get you back. So we're going to work on this. He thought about three years ago there was a path to make it happen. It, it didn't come together. Uh, and then now in the last, he said over the winter, the buzz started picking up again. We, we should remind viewers, if they didn't read the story, the, when we say Big 12 wrestling, it's not all the schools you're familiar with in the Big 12. It is Iowa State. It is the two Oklahoma schools. It is West Virginia. And then is this list of affiliate members who are kind of like Mizzou, don't have a natural home. It's uh, Wyoming, Air Force, used to be Fresno State, some of the Dakota schools. So some schools from out west mostly. And Mizzou had the chance to be one of those. But, but I asked the Big 12, how, how do you get in? And here's basically what they said. It has to come up from the coaches level. The, the Big 12 coaches, wrestling coaches, they have to make the recommendation. Well, then it goes to the campus leaders uh, in the Big 12, and we're talking about the legacy members of the Big 12, and that includes the schools that don't have wrestling. They had to approve this. So that means Kansas and Texas and Kansas State and Texas Tech and Baylor, all those ADs and presidents and chancellors, they had to approve this. Now, I don't know if it was a unanimous vote, but those schools that we think of more as the 
not maybe not enemy, but more the rival, the more the ones that are the reason Missouri may have left the league. Uh, they had to approve of this to some measure. Uh, and, and they finally did. And Brian Smith got the word, of, I guess, a few weeks ago that this was going to happen. And he's he's elated. He's really excited. And he's he's really happy for fans because now you'll get a little bit more recognizable names coming in for for matches. And he's really happy for alumni, for guys who, man, they love Missouri wrestling, but it just wasn't the same watching their their team, you know, wrestle in the MAC. Now that they are back in the Big Twelve, um, it's a big deal for them. So he was he was really ecstatic. How's he feeling about Ben Askren getting knocked out by uh, <laughs> by Jake Paul? Ben had to be in on that, right? I mean, let's just we don't have to dwell on this, but well, I got to think that he there was like some sort of an agreement where he gets like some staggering amount of money for his wrestling camps. And yeah. He gets to write, go away. He got a staggering that. amount anyway. He I was mean, laughing I, about it. He was, laughing, about first. he was laughing as he got out of the, yeah. the octagon or whatever it's called there. Right. I don't know if it was rigged, but I would say that, you know, we saw the weigh in. Ben wasn't exactly in tip top shape. He's for one, he's 36. He just had hip replacement surgery. So I don't think the guy was out, you know, running marathons and, and oh, yeah. um, you know, it, training like he would if he were 26 years old. Uh, and he's never been a puncher. Like he's that's not that's not his deal. But he did he did take a punch. I mean, he he took one pretty good from Jake Paul. I'll give Jake Paul credit. Like that guy is. Uh, we talked about him on the podcast. He is, um, you know, one of the worst people out there on on the internet. But he can he can beat up a he can win a boxing match against somebody who's not a boxer say that much. I don't know. yeah he's stronger than i thought he was he's he's he must he must work out as as they say in the great movie dumb and dumber um <laughs> which is also a good way, to, a, way to talk yeah. about jake paul um, we should probably end that there another another person another team that hits hard missouri softball i love the the story you had on the softball team dave they are starting to make some noise they're tied for third in the sec and and their coach is basically just like, hey, let's just go up there and hit bombs. Let's just let it rip yeah. and not overcomplicate things. Over here in Cardinals land, we're talking constantly about exit velocity and, and expected slugging percentage and, and all these things that make you feel like you're back in physics class in, in, in college or high school. And, and she's just saying, hey, just go up there and let's just smoke the baseball. And it truly yeah. seems to be working. The softball team is uh, making some noise. Yeah, they're one of the best offensive teams in the country. Um, Eight of their nine hitters in the lineup are a threat to hit a home run every at bat. They, the only one that isn't is I think the right fielder is more of a slap hitter. See, so that's not her style, which is fine when you've got eight home run hitters in that lineup. Um, they play pretty good defense. They don't have an ace pitcher. They don't have a Chelsea Thomas. So instead, they've got these five pitchers. And she basically says, you're all starters, you're all middle relievers, and you're all closers. So you have to be ready for every game. And we're just going to go matchups, basically. And that's what they do. So they don't. They don't um, make excuses. They don't say, oh, if we only had an ace, because they are what they are, and it's gotten them this far. They're 32-10 and 10 going into a weekend series, Arkansas, which happens to be in first place in the SEC. So a lot on the line. I, I really, I'm really impressed by Larissa Anderson. This is her third year. She just and, – and I, I get tired of the phrase culture and, and the word when it comes to sports because everyone uses it, but she really – she really has something going. Um, they, the players talk and sound like her. Um, it's, it's very player led team. And to think where that program was under Aaron early one, where they were winning, but they were one controversy after another. Um, 
not exactly a, uh, a, a model program in the eyes of the college softball community for, variety, for a variety of reasons. And Larissa comes in and she is kind of the face of national softball because she's been on all those committees, uh, very involved with like the ethics committee, the same ethics committee that has reprimanded Aaron Earlywine in the past. Um, but, and I, I think, and I, maybe I kind of made this mistake of thinking, okay, she's the polar opposite of him. She's really not. She is very intense. Uh, she told me, she goes, I'm not a positive, upbeat coach. I am, I am super intense. So it's not this completely uh, different kind of approach from, from who Aaron was. Uh, I, I just think it's maybe, it's just channeled a little bit differently. And, uh, and, and they're, they're winning and they're winning at a high rate. And it's, again, it's a, I didn't get into this in the story, but Missouri softball has become, and they're all, all these non-revenue teams are called non-revenue because they don't make money. They, they spend more than they make. They draw better and they make more money than Missouri's baseball team because they're more popular. Um, they've got a great facility. I, I think it's, it's fun to watch if that's what, you, if you want to watch something quick and exciting, explosive sport, it is more so than I think in college baseball at times. And they just have a really good thing going. It's kind of a niche audience, but I think it's it's been growing over time. And some of that you, you have to credit Aaron for because he really he he uh, he built a following in Columbia of, of fans that really really like that program. And, and to Larissa's credit, I think she's really carrying that into kind of this next regime. Well, yeah. I mean, can you imagine being the coach who replaced Aaron early on? Who did kind of have that black hat yeah. attitude, and 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 people liked him for that. Around right. Mizzou, people in the game probably, you know, definitely not not very much. But yeah. to be the next coach and to struggle would have been hard, and it could have maybe killed some of that buzz. But clearly, they're they're building off of it and and proving that there's more than more than one way to go about it. A team that hits a ton is fun to watch, and there will be people who want to watch and go see it. That's yeah. that's 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 true in baseball, softball, uh, true in anything. We score points, score runs, score touchdowns. People are going to come see it, which which brings us kind of circled back around to baseball, Dave. Maybe they should try that pitching approach where they throw everybody at every situation because their pitching has been really struggling. It's getting hard to ignore. I don't want to be that guy, but people are going to mention it. Zoo had a shot to hire Tony Vitello, who's now coaching at Tennessee, Dave, and the Vols are like the only team that can score runs off of Vanderbilt. They're, they're one of the best teams in the country, one of the best teams in the SEC what's going on with that rivalry and is that starting to stir up a little bit the fact that a guy who used to be at Mizzou is now leading one of the hottest teams in the SEC and, and Mizzou baseball struggling yeah you always kind of hear it as always kind of this undercurrent of when Mizzou is struggling under Steve Beezer who who had been I think trending in the right direction until last year when the season gets cut short they were playing really well and then just nothing has gone right this year they can't hit they're the worst hitting team in the SEC by just about every statistic uh, but the pitching has been the real problem and they have I think their team ERA has been in the sevens most of the year. They lead the country or have led the country in walks. Uh, and that's not the good kind of walks. It's the issuing walks, not taking walks. Uh, they give up just a ton of runs on bases loaded with and hit a batter or bases loaded and you walk somebody in a lot of sack flies. I mean, teams, teams figure out how to manufacture runs against Missouri baseball. It's not just home runs. It's, it's every which way. And it's been a struggle. He, he really likes his young pitchers. They brought in some freshmen. He's actually, the recruiting rankings have really liked what he has done. Um, but it's a bunch of young arms that, that aren't necessarily ready for this level yet. So they're in a really tough spot. The schedule is just absolutely unforgiving in the SEC. 
Uh, they they've got Georgia this weekend, and they got swept at at Florida last week. It is even when even when they've played close, and they've had games where they've lost with you know the tying run in scoring position. They have nothing to show for it. You know they're they're right now they're at risk of not making the SEC tournament field. They they don't the, the entire league doesn't make the tournament. Uh, you've got to not finish in the bottom two spots. Auburn's really awful. They're the worst team. Missouri's in danger of being that other team left out, which would really be disappointing for this program. On that positive note, yeah, <laughs> we'll wrap up the hot uh, seat edition of the I Have the Tigers podcast. Is there anything else I missed? I think I think we did a good job of spinning the wheel. Here, Brian but, Blitz retired. Oh my God! Yeah, I have him down, and I didn't I didn't mention him. Brian Blitz, who kind of under the radar, longtime soccer coach, but you had a great way of putting it. One of the few guys who can say, "Hey, I, I won some conference championships in, in yeah. the recent history at Mizzou." So. Happy trails to, to Brian Blitz and, and just a good guy who, um, you know, it's funny that sometimes it seems like the coaches we don't talk to as much or don't get as much coverage are oftentimes the guys who are most entertaining to talk to or good to hear from. Uh, and yeah. Maybe that's why we don't bug them as much. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> but Brian Blitz, long run and, uh, and a pretty good, uh, pretty good track record. Plus, how about this? Mizzou fans will appreciate this. His last win was a win against Kansas, correct? Yeah. Yeah. He had a, a- a good run. He's the only coach in Mizzou history. I mean, he started the program from scratch um, and was there 25 years and was able to, you know, kind of lead them through the conference transition. Uh, only two conference championships. Like you said, one was a tournament, Big 12 tournament, and then another year, a regular season title. Those were back-to-back years in 08 and 09. And I had some fans who probably don't follow Mizzou soccer or college soccer very closely. Like, gosh, how did he keep his job with only two conference championships? I said, well, he won two of the 12 for the entire school over a 25-year period. So keep it in perspective. Talking Big 12 and SEC, we're not counting wrestling because they won all those MAC titles. But um, I mean, he ran a clean program. They never you never had any messy headlines for women's soccer. Uh, they did really well in the classroom. If you're coaching a non-revenue team and you keep your team out of those headlines and you're winning decently, you're making the NCAA tournament every every few years you're a contender in your conference, you're going to keep your job at a place like Missouri. That's just the reality. They're not going to go out and pay top dollar to go get the best coach in the nation at a program when, and, and Brian kind of talked about this when he stepped down and this is, he wasn't making excuses or, or apologizing for anything, but in the state of Missouri, when you're a women's soccer coach, at, even at a division one school, there is so much competition for eyeballs and for dollars for that program to really gain much recognition compared to the soccer coach at Alabama or the track coach at, or, or the baseball coach at LSU, where there's just not as much stuff going on in the sports world. So th- it, I think that was a challenge for many of Missouri's non-revenue teams is uh, there's just so much going on when you talk about St. Louis sports, Kansas city sports, and then everything going on at Mizzou. So I, he had a good run. Like I said, he was well-liked at Mizzou for sure. And now they've got a nice opportunity to go out and, and hire a, a new coach who um, I can capitalize on. There's a lot of talent in this state in high schools for sure. I think Missouri can do a better job of, of attracting more of that talent to Columbia. Very few. He's also one of the very few co- college coaches of any way, shape, or form or any sport who get to go out on their own terms. Yeah. Which tells you he did something, right? Because yeah. most, of these, uh, most of these folks don't get to. So happy retirement to Coach Blitz. 
and uh, that's a much happier note to end the podcast. Yes. So good save there, Dave. Um, good save, and uh, we will uh, we'll wrap it there, folks. We want to just kind of take a spin through some of the topics that have been piling up that we haven't had much time to talk about, and we'll get back to the meat and potatoes of baseball and, and basketball and football here in the coming weeks as we start to really kind of dig into uh, what should be a very interesting Mizzou football season and keep tabs on what Conzo Martin's doing with his roster refresh. Uh, for Dave, I'm Ben. We will see you next week. And I'll remind you before we go, check out the podcast, stltoday.com slash podcast. Even easier, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcast, punch in I on the Tigers, subscribe, leave us a review, let us know how we're doing there. And we will talk to you next week, everybody. <laughs>